Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. It's Monday, October 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, man. The banks are closed. Not us. That was a pretty good tweet. <laughs> I, I, I like it. I saw we're not that. close. That was good. We're here. We're here. <laughs> and we're going to be talking, I think the media and entertainment uh, industries are very much on display in today's episode. And our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, did some on-the-ground research up in New York City over the weekend at Comic-Con. I was surprised by the attendance. Dan wasn't. I was a little surprised. We'll get to that. Yeah. We got to start with the weekend box office. And if you're a shareholder of movie theater stocks, you have our condolences because they're all <laughs> down today because Blade Runner 2049, a movie with as much buzz around it as almost any movie in 2017, not named The Last Jedi. <laughs> Pretty disappointing in terms, uh, considering it won the weekend thirty-one million dollars domestically. They were aiming for north of fifty million domestically. Yeah, and right now, movie theaters are on track for a a pretty mediocre to bad year. And it's not to say they can't pull out of it at the end here with with some of the big releases coming, including the Last Jedi. But right now, this is a really tough space to be in. Yeah, and you look at these companies and you see the way that they've performed all year. 2017 has been just a brutal year for most everyone in, in the movie theater business. And you would think that okay, at some point there is going to be an opportunity maybe here to, to buy. Something that is of a compelling value, but uh, you know, honestly, I kind of, I think it's plausible here that it may not actually be the case. I mean, tell me what the tailwind is for these guys, because to me, like I, I, I see movie theaters as becoming less compelling and re- relevant, like every day. It's not the same thing as when we were growing up, right? And so, I mean, I think that. It's just it's a lot more work to go to a movie theater nowadays. It, it is a neat experience to be able to go see a movie in a movie theater. I'm not going to, you know, diss the actual experience, but it costs a lot of money to do. Okay, so I don't think their pricing power sort of goes on forever. I think there are a lot of options out there, a lot of of uh, competitors looking for our, our, our uh, time, and so. It just to me, there are a lot of headwinds that movie theaters are facing right now. I mean, I kind of feel like we talk about that war on cash uh, basket that I have. I feel like you could probably put together a basket of these movie theater stocks and just short them all, and you'd probably come out all right at the end. Because I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just don't know what the catalyst is that really turns it around, other than the occasional good movie. I mean, I, I guess maybe we go to the movies like once or twice a year now. As a family, maybe? For me, it's probably a little bit more than that, but not much more. And so, in the last couple months of 2017, you've got Justice League, Thor Ragnarok, and The Last Jedi. And those are tentpole, those are sort of your classic big summer movie blockbuster. But when we talk about margin for error, weekends like this with Blade Runner 2049, the more 
this type of thing happens, the more pressure it puts on the opening weekends for those three movies to not just be big, they need to be over the top. And they're already, look, I saw an article over the weekend that Justice League, they're targeting somewhere in the neighborhood of $130, $140 million opening weekend. And if you're in the business of being a movie theater, you better hope like hell they hit that. (laughs) And the same for Thor Ragnarok and The Last Jedi. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I think you're right there with, with certainly all of the Star Wars movies in the coming years will serve as, as I think, I think they'll all generally do pretty well. There's a lot of superhero content out there, and I kind of wonder if we're not getting to a point where that stuff's getting a little bit diluted. But I also understand a very um, big fan bases for those as well. Uh, we're heading to the movies. I think as a company, we have the opportunity to go see some movies on Friday, right? Yeah. That was I was thinking I might see Blade Runner that day, just you know because we have the opportunity to do it. But I'm still not sure, <laughs> and that's free. <laughs> or, well, free for me. I was going to say, and you're not paying a dime I, I know. for that. <laughs> Our company is like, paying for it. You know, do I really feel like getting off my butt and like walking over there? And I don't know, man. You know, you know what? In all seriousness, you know what would absolutely get me to the movie theater on a regular basis is if some of these theaters started rolling out pretty consistently classic movies. If if the theater that's just a few blocks from Full HQ just announced, hey, before Christmas, we're going to be showing The Godfather, The Godfather Part 2. We're going to, Just these movies that hold up over time that I've seen a bunch of times, but have never once seen on the big screen. That, that's a very I would very absolutely do that. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think even even uh, now, it, it strikes me that we're seeing a lot of reboots, a lot of, a lot of movies that were good, and they're going out there and remaking them for a new generation. I feel like Hollywood is really, really lacking right now for for just storylines, and and we talk about it all the time, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit more today. But just there is so much great TV out there. Like you could just sit there and watch any series, ten episodes. I mean, there's ten hours right there. So I mean, I think you just have a lot. You have a lot, a lot of options out there today as a consumer. Wonderful time to be a consumer. Uh, difficult time to be an owner of a movie theater, and I don't know that it's going to get any better anytime soon. Let's move over to television then, because you had uh, pointed out an article in Ad Age, and just parenthetically, I have to add, Ad Age is one of those. From time to time, particularly when we're talking about restaurants, we will talk about uh, QSR, which is a trade publication for the quick service restaurant industry. Ad Age is one of those. Trade publications where, as an investor, you can find some really good information and some good insights beyond just sort of, hey, what are hit television shows and that sort of thing. And Anthony Krupe, who's really great when it comes to breaking down numbers in the television industry, had a pretty interesting article about advertising and how, on the surface, you can just sort of look at television advertising and say, well, it's getting more expensive. But uh, Krupe broke it down. In such a way that you can just sort of look at it and think, ah, if you're an advertiser and you're advertising on broadcast television, you might want to rethink the way you're spending your money. Yeah, why is it getting more expensive? Is it because they're able to command more dollars, or is it because the audience is shrinking? And in this case, it's pretty clear that the audience is shrinking. Um, and they were making a comparison of, of Seinfeld uh, to Sunday Night Football, and so the. The, the average, I think, audience for, for Seinfeld at that point in time was somewhere around 22, 23 million viewers versus Sunday Night Football, which is a little bit under 10 million 
And and so and again, this is apples to apples in that what's the number one show right twenty years ago? What's the number one show now? Right. What is what are people tuning on into? broadcast television? Exactly. And and so um, you know, it was very interesting. I, the Seinfeld comparison was was apropos for a number of reasons. I thought in in, in the the. <laughs> The mention of shrinkage in the article was just classic, yeah. <laughs> but it reminded me like a few weeks back, Jerry Seinfeld was on the Howard Stern show and just great interview. I mean, always always love listening to him, and, and they were talking about uh, Seinfeld. They were talking about comedians in cars getting coffee and sort of how that all sort of came about. And, and Jerry made this point that the medium is the message. And, and and I think he was spot on there. It's basically looking at how people are consuming things today versus how they were consuming them yesterday. And so broadcast TV obviously was a much more important, played a much more important role in our lives back then than it does today. Um, and so he, you know, he told a story about how like with with comedians and cars getting coffee, I mean, he was trying to come up with a show and an idea that would cater to this generation's internet audience. He wanted to make them short episodes, make them really just about you know a couple of people because he figured. People would be watching them on their phones. Somehow or another, Crackle was the only one that really gave him a shot. Initially, Netflix turned him down, and and so now you have this behemoth. Obviously, is doing really well. But I think that's the key. There is really the the medium is the message, and so the way that we're consuming our content today, broadcast TV, I, I think, is just in a really difficult spot because when you look at the numbers and you see. How much money advertisers are having to pay for those viewers today, in in the lack of data that they get from those viewers on broadcast TV, it's it's really hard to justify that kind of spending. So then, where's the spending going? Well, it's going to places like Hulu, uh, in places where uh, we're seeing options as far as the way you're going to get this content. Yes, I can watch Hulu on my TV at home. I can also watch it on my phone. Hulu has a pretty neat situation there in that they're getting advertising dollars and they're getting subscription dollars. And so for a while, they were a bit of a laughing stock, but they're building up their content arsenal now and they've got some powerful ownership. And so I think you're going to see uh, as time goes on, this disparity continues. And if you're in that, if you're in that space, if you're if you're in ad spending, I mean, I, I don't understand why you would keep on investing money in investing in that space particularly when you see sort of the way uh the the viewership for these sporting events is going i mean the median age for sports viewership for example is is getting older by a considerable factor um with the exception of perhaps the nba and i think that could be argued that the nba has been very forward thinking in their investments in the way that they're distributing their content and embracing sort of social and that uh, interactive uh, dynamic. Yeah, and I think if you're a Walt Disney shareholder, you can take some small solace in this article because it shows that it's not just ESPN that's losing subscribers, it's cable sports across the board, and it's broadcast television that's losing subscribers. And again, the number one show on broadcast television right now has an audience. That is less than half the size of the number one show just 20 years ago. Yeah, and if you look at the evolution, sort of the way that content has been distributed, I mean, for a long time, you went to the game, right? America's favorite pastime, you go to the baseball game, it was a great time waster. But then broadcast TV came along and it opened up that audience, and so we could watch those games on TV. The economics 
eventually weren't working out so well for broadcast TV because cable came along. And so then cable was seen as another distribution channel and it was working out pretty well. Unfortunately, now people are starting to cut the cord or just sort of rethink how they're going to get their content. So we've gone from sort of a bundling to an unbundling back to sort of a semi bundling. <laughs> it's just, it's really interesting to see how the economics are working out. And it's just, I, th- I think that with sports in particular, I just don't think we're going to see these same sorts of massive contracts uh, years from now. I, th- I think that the leagues would be very, very wise to try to figure out new distribution uh, in such a way that allows people to personalize and get what they want when they want. Before we go on to New York City, you got to say thanks to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, I think he's confident about how the Nationals are going to do today in Chicago. Listen, I sat next to him on the way home from South Carolina. He exuded confidence about the Nats' uh, prospects. It's an exciting series. We'll find out in a moment. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of Dan Boyd-esque confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, and mlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Dan Boyd, up in New York City this weekend for Comic-Con. First, just real quick on the on the baseball game, how are you feeling? Max Scherzer on the mound today. I am going to make you sound like a chipmunk for like a year on this podcast if you have jinxed this game today with talking about confidence. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll X that part out. Um, let's talk about New York Comic-Con then. Uh, I was surprised by the number of people who went, and then I saw a chart. Because when we talk about Comic-Con, the big one is out in San Diego. And for the past decade, there has been the big one in San Diego, and then one in New York City, a small one here in D.C., that sort of thing. The number of people attending New York Comic-Con this weekend was basically equal to the number of people at San Diego. <laughs> I had no idea. And the and the I saw a chart that the attendance at the New York Comic-Con over the past decade has increased by a factor of 6. Passionate fan base, we're talking about the movies. I mean, that that is right. that's why they're making those. So so first Dan, from a business standpoint, was there anything that you saw that that sort of Got you thinking about the entertainment industry. One one business takeaway from New York Comic Con. I guess it'd have to be that digital distribution is huge. It's really really big. The Netflix shows, Hulu, uh, Amazon. Amazon's getting into it. They had several booths for exclusive shows that are coming out uh, soon. And it's there weren't really any cable or broadcast. If we're talking about shows, not necessarily movies, but shows, there wasn't really a presence for NBC or ABC or CBS or anything like at that. all. No, there was. I guess there were some posters for NBC, but I, it, I don't. They didn't have a big booth or anything. Wow, that's. I mean, <laughs> that is damning. That is telling. That, no, there was. I mean, there was a whole Twitch stage. Yeah. Uh, there was, uh, you know, movies and all sorts of other, you know, comic adjacent things. Like Tops had a big uh, booth there, but. It was mainly stuff that was digital distribution. Uh, earlier this summer on Motley Fool Money, we had Ron uh, Salkowitz uh, from San Diego Comic-Con. He's written a book on the business of pop culture. And one of the things we talked about was the the rise in 
cosplay, the number of people who dress up at these events, whereas a decade ago was maybe about 10% of the people attending, and now it's upwards of 30%, 40%, that sort of thing. What was the most striking costume that you saw this weekend in New York? Well, Chris, as you can imagine, there were a whole lot of costumes. Um, my favorite, probably, was a guy dressed up as the Javits Center. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the place where you were yeah. having the event? Yeah, uh, the co- the conference uh, that's, center. In, hey man, that's very there. meta. It Tip was cap, it yeah. was awesome. It was he, his costume was about twelve feet wide, and <laughs> it was like cardboard covered in tin foil with the grid of the building drawn onto it, uh, and it was all you know very chrome shiny. And then he was wearing uh, what looked to be like a silver bodysuit under it. Uh, so it was it was a pretty good one, but there there were so many uh, a lot of Deadpool's, a lot of Harley Quinns, uh, a lot of uh, Spider Men. So it, I mean, there's a ton of people. It's very easy to to a lot of the characters are very easy to dress up as, and it's a lot of uh, a lot of fun to see how much work people put into it. There was a probably a, a ten or eleven foot tall bumblebee from Transformers walking around. And there was another like nine foot tall Voltron walking around too. It was really cool. The guy dressed up as the Javits Center was he just standing in one place? How do you move around? Oh no, you don't move around. Okay. You can't. No, he he just stood there and let people take pictures uh, of him and in front of him. Right. Like whole groups do would do it in the front bathroom. of him. I mean, like yeah, he, I think he, I think when you're looking to get a bite to eat or you're looking to avail yourself of the facilities, that's where you you. You disengage from the costume and you have someone watch it while you I go. I gotta believe you're skipping the morning coffee. I think the Javits Center probably had friends with him there, or with them. I don't know if it was a guy or I couldn't tell. With them there that were probably helping them out if they needed a break or something. You gotta be thrilled if you're the Javits Center. <laughs> so, on the, the topic of digital distribution, I saw earlier on Twitter, and this was just, this struck me because I remember very, very well in college when the series came out, and I actually enjoyed watching it, was Batman the Animated Series. Uh, started, I think, back in 1992. 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, so now I guess they are apparently releasing it on Blu-ray for the first time ever, and this just got like a huge. Uh, well, I remember response. when I was in college. So that came out when I was a kid. Uh, I think 1992. I was yeah. probably six or seven oh, years old. Kid, I was in college. Thanks for dating me. Dan. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I, when I was in college, I bought all the DVDs of that. Oh, show. did you really? Yeah, because I loved that show. It, it was a really, really. I, I mean, I've, I've seen critical. Uh, a claim that it perhaps is one of the best, if not the best, interpretations of Batman. I mean, Batman's pretty cool. I'm, I'm a bit more of a Superman guy myself, but but I really did actually enjoy the show. It just struck me as kind of odd in that it was such a big deal that it was being released on Blu-ray, whereas, I, you know, I think I could rather just... I mean, how many people have DVD players anymore? I, mean, I don't know. Well, well everybody's, you, I mean, everybody's got an Xbox or a PlayStation 4. That's okay. There you go. That's how you play those things then. Yep, never mind. I mean, I myself has two, have two PlayStations. Well, one for the office and one for the living room. <laughs> Lottie friggin' da. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dan. Real quick before we wrap up, earnings season starting up this week. What is one thing you're going to be watching? Well, one big thing I'm going to be watching, very, very much in line with what we've been talking about today, really. It's, it's just these media companies' uh, earnings releases. We have Netflix next week, uh, Disney earnings coming out in November. Uh, you know, I mean, Netflix is the leader in this space, right? They're the ones that set the trend, and it's just very interesting to me to see how everybody's sort of catching up now. I mean, like Amazon's doing really well on the on the content front. Disney is going to be releasing two apps: an ESPN app and in a Disney app, and and I think they were very wise to yank all of that content from Netflix because really, uh, content is the big differentiator now. And I, I mean, I I think that uh, Hulu has really 
stepped up its game. Their their forty dollar sort of skinny bundle offering, I think, is is compelling. We have it. We like it. My kids watch it. Uh, we also have Netflix and Amazon. So it's just very interesting to me to see how all of this stuff is shaking out. And we've got. Uh, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, there's going to be a lot of information coming here in the next uh, month or so about how this stuff is all shaking out, what we can look forward to in 2018. All right, Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill, thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>